Good morning. Thank you, Rhonda. Thank you, worship team. Thank you, sound guys back there for pulling all this together. We are blessed for sure here at uh, Brown's Chapel. We have a lot of talented people. I'm going to be in the book of Mark this morning, the eighth chapter, and we're going to start at verse 22, and I'll read through the 26th chapter. So Mark chapter 8. And they came to Bethsaida, and some people brought a blind man and begged Jesus to touch him. He took the blind man by the hand and led him outside the village. When he had spit on the man's eyes and put his hands on him, Jesus asked, Do you see anything? He looked up and said, I see people, but they look like trees walking around. Once more, Jesus put his hands on the man's eyes. Then his eyes were opened. His sight was restored, and he saw everything clearly. Jesus said to him, saying, don't even go into the village. Let's pray. Father, we do thank you for your word this morning. And Lord, these next few moments, we just ask, Father, that your Holy Spirit would speak to us through your word. Father, help me to have clarity of thought and purpose. And Father, as a body of Christ, help us to be open and receptive to your instructions. And may you be glorified in Jesus' name. Amen. It was the summer of 1972, and a man by the name of Johnny Nash released a song entitled, I Can See Clearly Now. Sing it with me. No, I'm just teasing. <laughs> the lyrics say, I can see clearly now the rain is gone. I can see all obstacles in my way. Gone are the dark clouds that had me blind. It's going to be a bright, sunshiny day. Remember that song? So uh, I love it. My kids will uh, come out every once in a while, and there's remixes are very popular nowadays and they'll come out and oh I heard this great song and I'm like really that's like 30 years old or 50 that's when I was a kid you know like my daughter said something about going to the chapel going to be married and we're like uh, that's an old song but they thought it was new so uh, so anyway, I can see clearly now well I've learned some lessons in life I just turned 51 last September and I learned that even though I am not blind I do not necessarily see things the way they should be seen or uh, as, as they are. So case in point, a few nights ago, Caleb and I were out and uh, I had to go to the Amazon plant way out on the west side of town, out toward McCordsville. I had to meet with a guy out there. I had to, a delivery to make to him. And so I'm not familiar with this area, not familiar with, with the Amazon parking lot layout and so forth. So the guy says to me, I'm going to be standing out front. And I'm like, okay, so we're headed out that direction. Not sure where I'm going. I know it's off of 300 North, but I figured I can't miss it. It's a pretty big building. So we're, we're driving out there, and I pull into the parking lot. And the parking lot is kind of like a maze. You've got these corridors, they had stuff blocked off, and you have to weave your way through this area. And I just kept looking for the guy. He's supposed to be out front waiting for me. And there were these speed bumps, and so we got through the obstacle and everything, and we pulled up 
to where the guy was, and I jumped out and handed him what, what I had for him, and he says to me, I'm going to need you to stop at the stop signs next time. <laughs> and I said, legitimately, I wasn't being silly or trying to be funny. I said, stop signs? And I turned around and I looked, and at each of those three speed bumps, there were stop signs. But, it, oh, it's worse than that. Not were there just stop signs. There were these red dots around the stop sign that were flashing <laughs> to stop. Never saw a one of them. I asked Caleb, did you see the stop signs? Yeah. Well, <laughs> Why didn't you say anything? And uh, then I felt really bad because at those speed bumps through there, they were actually crosswalks for people to get from the parking lot safely into the building. And here I come, just boom, 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 <laughs> right over them, get in there. And I didn't even see them. I'm sure Caleb had a smile because we've been out driving, you know, getting their license. They've got to have 50 hours of drive time, 10 at night. I don't think I even got six hours when I was a kid, which might explain why when I got my license in October, by the end of that first month, I'd had two wrecks and totaled out my parents' car. So maybe I should have had a few more hours of drive time. But I'm sure Caleb was smiling and thinking about all the times that I had said to him, you have to pay attention to what's going on around you. Usually I would say something to Caleb and Abigail and the other three that I've taught. When I get done with all eight kids, I think I'm just going to open a driving school because I'll have <laughs> lots of experience of teaching young people how to drive. But usually I'll say something to Caleb or Joshua or whoever it was I was teaching, something like, stop, stop, stop! <laughs> so I'm sure Caleb was smiling when Dad didn't stop at any, any of the stop signs. So sometimes we see, we're not blind, we see, but in reality, we're not seeing. And that really is the context of our passage here this morning in the Gospel of, uh, of Mark. If we go back to the beginning of chapter 8, we can see that the story starts with Jesus feeding a multitude of people. Uh, he had seven loaves, and he took the loaves, and he broke it, and he fed the multitudes because they were out in the desert place, and the disciples didn't want to send them or felt like we should send them away because we're so far out, and Jesus says, no, that, that we'll feed them. So Jesus feeds a great multitude of people. After that time of feeding, it says the, Mark tells us that they got into a boat, and they sailed across the sea, and they came to another place to another region. And it says, as they exited the boat, a group of Pharisees came out to meet Jesus and the disciples, and they were asking for a miracle. And I found it interesting because Jesus doesn't give them a miracle. In fact, the text says that Jesus got back into the boat and left and just sailed away to, to another region. While he was in the boat, headed to the other location, he says in verse 17 that the disciples need to be aware of the yeast or the leaven of the Pharisees. And let's look at verse 17 real quick. It says, aware of their discussion. See, the disciples had been talking about themselves and the, or amongst themselves, and it was like, Jesus is upset with us because we didn't bring any bread. That's what they 
they thought Jesus was talking about. So in verse 17, it says, Aware of their discussion, Jesus asked him, Why are you talking about having no bread? Do you still not see or understand? Are your hearts hardened? Do you have eyes but fail to see and ears but fail to hear? And don't you remember when I broke the five loaves for the 5,000? How many basketfuls of pieces did you pick up? Twelve, they replied. And when I broke the seven loaves for the 4,000, now this had just happened. How many basketfuls did you pick up? They answered, seven. He said to them, do you still not understand? So that's the context, if you will, of where we find here in chapter, uh, chapter 8, verses 22, where Jesus heals this blind man. He says, once they, arrived at the, uh, once they arrived at their location, a blind man was brought to Jesus. Now this is a very, at least to me, <laughs> a very interesting text. On the surface of the text, this is about Jesus healing a blind man. Now, I always want to be careful and not to miss or detract from the original meaning of the text or the, the original story there is. But it says, this pass, so this passage is about healing. And we can learn many things from it. Scholars agree that this is the only miracle recorded where the process of healing took place gradually. All the other times, Jesus just touched the guy and he was healed. Or sometimes he just spoke and the guy was healed. And other times, Jesus wasn't even in the same location. If you remember the, the, the uh, centurion, I think it was, who, who came to Jesus and said that, uh, come with me to my house. Or, and, but then he said to Jesus, well, you really, you don't even need to come. Just say it because I'm, I'm a great leader and I have men. If I say do this, they do that. So Jesus said he'd not seen greater faith anywhere. And so sometimes Jesus wasn't even present when healing took place. But this is the only place recorded where this healing was gradual. In other words, where Jesus touched this man twice. Now, it's important to remember that God is the one in control when it comes to healing. And as you can see in this passage, God is not going to be put into a box when it comes to the healing process. God chooses who to heal, how to heal, when to heal, and many of us see God heal some, and sometimes God chooses not to heal. Perhaps we've been in present or in a room with somebody, and they were healed instantly. And then other times, we see where God heals people over a process of time. Had the privilege this week of being in a, a network meeting, and there was a chiropractor in the room, Dr. Mac Gerhard. He is from Fishers, and he shared a story with Ruth. I thought, man, God is so good. Just gives me an illustration right on the very week that I, I'm going to have to preach. But he shared how a lady earlier this year in her 50s came in, and they brought her into his office. She was in a wheelchair. She couldn't even stand let alone walk. And he said, but after several months of therapy, he said to the group, she ran this week. She actually jogged a little bit with her grandson this week. That's healing over time, gradual. To me, that's a miracle. That's God touching and helping this lady over the process of time. It wasn't instantaneous. So we can't put God in a box. God decides who to heal, who not to heal, when to heal, how to heal. All of that is in the Lord's hands. So the question here isn't, can God heal? 
But why did he choose to heal in this manner? Or at least that's the question that I'm asking. Why did he choose to heal this way? One touch from the master's hand, the great physician, can heal anything that we have in our lives, physically, spiritually, emotionally. Why did God choose to heal in this manner? Well, I believe because there is a deeper meaning here, a deeper lesson that Jesus is desiring to teach his disciples, but also to teach you and I today. He, Jesus desired to take them deeper. He wanted them to truly see, to understand with their heart. I say this because of not only the context we had before this passage, but what comes after this passage. We're told that after he healed this man, that he got into the boat and he left with his disciples. Let's pick up in verse 27. It says, Jesus and his disciples went to the villages around Caesarea Philippi. On the way, he asked them, who do people say I am? They replied, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others, one of the prophets. Well, what about you, he asked. Who do you say I am? Peter answered, you're the Messiah. Jesus warned them not to tell anyone. In Matthew chapter 16, we have the exact same story, the exact same layout of where he had, had the healing and then how he moved along. But Matthew gives us a little more detail, a little more depth, if you will, in his account. Matthew writes, when Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say the Son of Man is? They replied, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others, Jeremiah or one of the prophets. But what about you, he asked, who do you say I am? Simon Peter answered, you are the Messiah, just like he did in Mark. However, he goes on, the son of the living God. Jesus replied, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my father in heaven. Jesus is affirming to Peter that Peter is beginning to see with his spiritual eyes. That his spiritual eyes have been opened and he's beginning to see what others have not or cannot see. Jesus says that this was not revealed to Peter by flesh and blood. In other words, by man. Nobody told this to Peter but God himself. You see, this healing of the blind man is not just a story of someone who couldn't see receiving sight. It is a lesson for all of us that we too need to have our eyes opened by the Spirit of God before we can begin to see the deeper things of God. I want to draw some spiritual truths from this story this morning and see how God would apply them. Now, first of all, let me apologize. If you look in your bulletin, it's blank. My own daughter says to me, what? No application points? <laughs> so, so you just get a pencil out and, and write down whatever you feel the, the Lord would, uh, would lead you to do this morning. And I'm sure Pastor Theo will have the application points for you, uh, for you next week. It is tough working a full-time job and then having to, to do the sermon prep. And uh, this week it was even more difficult. It was extremely uh, Extremely busy. But, uh, but my first point is that this man was, in fact, blind. 
There's no doubt about this from the text, but because it says that other people in the community brought this man to Jesus. So the community knew the man's state, and he was led to Jesus by others. I believe this man is a representative of you and me. Prior to receiving Jesus as our Savior, I was blind to the gospel message. We are told that others brought this man to Jesus and begged him to heal him, begged him to touch the man. The Greek word here is parakaleo. And I'm going to say that word a lot because I like the way it sounds. Parakaleo, that's the, that's the Greek word. And it means to call to or to call for, to encourage, to comfort, to come alongside, to get personal with. It's a very personal, a very deep word. It's the idea of coming alongside someone for the purpose of encouraging them, in comforting them, in building them up. And here we have a group of people who brought this man and they called for, they parakaleo, Jesus, to touch him. If you are a believer this morning, someone at some point in time came alongside you. And they shared the gospel message. Maybe it was a father or a mother. Maybe it was a grandmother, a teacher. I know they're under a lot of pressure nowadays in schools, but uh, there was a time where our teachers in our school shared their faith with us. So maybe it was a teacher, or maybe it was a neighbor or a co-worker. Someone cared enough about you to parakaleo, to come alongside you and intercede on your behalf. And you know, it could have just been a local radio station. I love that we're so close to Anderson and we get the, the moody signals. And if I want to listen to music, we've got, you know, K-Love and some of the other. But when I want some good, deep Bible teaching, I just flip it over to the Moody because they, there's usually someone on there preaching, preaching the gospel. We are blessed. So maybe you received that. Somebody came alongside you via the, via the airways. But at some point, someone came alongside you. When I was a teenager, a young man who was studying at Indiana Wesleyan, now this would have been in the 80s, at that time it was Marion College before they had went through the, the name change, but he would come back to southern Indiana and he would share, or he would spend the summers with us playing basketball, football, riding bikes, hiking with us kids. Now this guy, he would have been in his early 30s, and I was probably about 14, 15, this took place over about three or four years, and he would come home every summer, stay with his parents, and boy, we just, we couldn't wait for him to get out of bed during the week. Now, he was a guy, he liked to sleep in, 10.30, 11, 11.30, and us kids, I mean, we were up before the rooster started crowing. Grandma got us up and got us out the door so she didn't have to deal with us all day long, go play in the woods, and we would ride over to this guy's house, and we'd just circle outside kind of wait man is Earl Lump yet is he out of bed yet what's going on? we'd go up we'd talk to his parents who were in they were in their 60s now and they'd say he's not out of bed yet it's like oh he'd finally get up then he'd have to eat but finally at some point we'd start playing football or basketball well I didn't realize it at the time but all the time we were just playing games he was sowing the gospel a little bit here 
a little bit there, wasn't a lot to do out in the country besides ride bikes and walks, and we had this big seven-mile loop. We'd just take off walking, and we'd walk the whole loop, and the whole time he's sharing the gospel with us. And then one Sunday night, he invited me to go with him up to Orleans to a camp meeting, a revival. I didn't know what that was, but hey, he wanted me to go along, and that night, I received Christ because they, they gave the altar call, and I don't know what it was, but something within me said I had to get home. Or I had to get down to that altar to get prayed. It might have been the fact that the preacher said, you may leave here tonight and die in a car wreck and never and miss an opportunity to get saved. Well, that was enough for me. Man, I went down to the altar. He had come alongside me right, uh, right down there. But, but this guy spent the summer coming alongside us, sharing little bits of the gospel, that parakaleo. And I received Christ that summer. Christina Graber shared a wonderful devotional with us the other night. I hope it's okay that I, that I share this here this morning uh, at the board meeting. She, shared a, uh, she reminded us about the parable of the sower and the seed. And she challenged us to ask why was the person, why was the heart of the person hard or rocky or thorny? And ask then to ask God, what role can you and I play into breaking up that ground? I didn't realize it at the time because I hadn't got into the text yet. But what Christina is saying there, in other words, to paraphrase, how can we parakaleo, how can we come along someone to help break up that hard ground or remove those stones or Get rid of those thorns. What role, what process can you and I play in that person's salvation or that person's conversion? Or is that person getting to go deeper with the, with the Lord? How can I come alongside them? It's a very, I think, a very deep question. And I hope it's one that we don't rush past too quickly. How can I get involved? How can I come alongside someone? There's a verse of scripture, 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 3 and 4, that describes this Greek word that I was telling you about. Very, very good. It says, Paul writes, Praise to be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort. That word comfort there is that Greek word parakaleo. Who comforts, parakaleo, us in all our troubles so that we can comfort Pericaleo, those in any troubles with the comfort, there it is again, that we ourselves have received from God. It's that idea of walking beside. And that's what these men were doing. They brought this man to Jesus. They walked beside him and brought him to the Lord because he was blind. And at one point, before you knew the Lord as your Savior, you too were blind. Secondly, that says that this man received his sight. The blind man received his sight. Now notice it says that Jesus took the man by the hand and led him out to the countryside, led him out of the city. Scholars agree that this is because Jesus had pronounced a curse on Bethsaida and Capernaum and other places because he'd done all these works in their city and yet they still chose not to believe 
that he was the Messiah. So in this case, Jesus could have healed the man right there in town. But the Bible tells us that he took the man by the hand and led him out of town. As if to say that you guys are not going to have any part, any experience in this man's healing. Because I've already done so much here and you have still not believed. You still not uh, um, Understood. In fact, in Matthew chapter 11, Jesus tells them that if all the works that had been done here, that even Sodom would have repented in sackcloth and ashes. So scholars believe that Jesus led his man out of town so that they would not be able to see or participate in this miracle. In continuing with our spiritual lessons, the blind man received sight. When Jesus asked him what he saw, he said, I see men like trees. So the Lord touched him again, and he saw clearly now. Now Matthew Henry, old Bible scholar and a and gentleman uh, by the name of J. Vernon McGee, talk about the spiritual implications of this section. So this is not just something I came up with. I'm on good ground here. If Matthew Henry and J. Vernon McGee, uh, McGee agree with me, then I feel like I'm on pretty good ground. He says that we too were blind, but now we see. However, we don't see clearly. The Apostle Paul says it this way in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 6. And I am going to have to hurry. Um, As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sin in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. But because of his great love, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in our transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. Through Jesus, our eyes were opened. We are no longer blind and we can see. However, this man saw men who looked like trees walking around. This man's complete healing was a process. And you and I too, as Christians, go through a process. We do not see the spiritual things of God perfectly from the beginning. The Apostle Paul in the first chapter of Ephesians says, For this reason, ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all of God's people, I have not stopped giving thanks for you. Remembering you in my prayers, I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and understanding. Sounds a lot like the book of Colossians we're studying in Sunday school. So that you may know him better. There's a purpose for this wisdom, so that we may know Christ better. I pray that the, and here's how Paul says, that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the people, the hope, in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people. Brothers and sisters in Christ, we too need this very prayer in our lives. We need to be praying that this for ourselves, but also for other people, that the eyes of our heart would be enlightened, that we may know the hope to which he has called us. If your home's like my house in the middle of the night, uh, there are a lot of lights on. 
Kids have their little night lights. Sometimes there's a hallway light on and this and that. But yet, even when I wake up in the middle of the night, I still have to be careful because there are still some dark spots and some shadows. And have you ever just stubbed your toe in the middle of the night? Oh, painful. Well, let me share something with you that's way worse than that. That's stepping on a Lego brick in the middle of the night. Now, if my mother-in-law is listening by way of uh, YouTube this morning, my kids don't need any more Legos for Christmas. <laughs> I'll be in trouble for, uh, for that later on. So. But yeah, just stepping on that, that Lego brick in the middle of the night. Oh, my goodness. Well, this is how I would describe the, the Christian life. When I came to Christ, my eyes were opened and I began to see. However, my vision was not perfect. I, see, I saw men like trees walking around, so to speak. In other words, I'm still learning the deep mysteries of God. Things are not perfectly clear to me, yet I still... So, in other words, I still have questions. I'm still learning. I'm still seeing more and more from God's Word. That's why when I, I can get up and I'm in my devotion and so I read something, it's like, I don't ever remember seeing that before. It's because I'm still learning. My eyes are still being opened. Paul describes it in 1 Corinthians like this. He says, For now we see through a glass darkly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then I shall know even as I am known. The NIV says that we see only a reflection as in a mirror. Now, the mirror that they're talking about there in the NIV isn't like mirrors that we have nowadays. I mean, they're perfect. We have this full-length mirror uh, in our bedroom. Oh, I hate that thing. It makes me look fat. I'm like, man, this, uh, you know, <laughs> it's just reflecting, I presume, what it, what it sees. But that's not the mirror that they're talking about here. The mirrors in ancient times were like metal that they had been polished and seized. So it's kind of like you look at yourself through your stained stainless steel refrigerator or dishwasher, you know, it's, you can kind of see, but you don't really see. And that's how it is as we walk the Christian life. We see, but yet we don't see. We're still learning to see. Our, our vision, our eyes, the eyes of our heart are constantly being opened. It's a process of spiritual growth. And even though I do not see perfectly today, I believe that my sight can be improved along the way as I grow in Christ. We call this process discipleship. Go back to Paul's prayer. He prayed that they would, that they would get the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that they would know him better. A man by the name of J. Vernon, or uh, DeVern Frompke, he actually used to teach uh, be the headmaster at um, Heritage Christian there in uh, Indianapolis. But he wrote several books, and his, his life passion was to grow people up in the knowledge of the Lord. And he wrote this book, and it's a collection of stories. Uh, but I just wanted to read an excerpt this morning because there's no way that I could tell the story as well as, as he has written it. He writes, over 13 years ago, my wife and I moved to an 80-acre rural setting away from the hustle of Indianapolis. It was almost immediately that we realized the need to enlarge our small house, which had only one tiny window on the west side. By building a large room to the west side, we were able to add a large window, 7 feet by 24 feet. That's a big window. 
giving us an amazing overview. Words can hardly explain what a delightful change this made to our living quarters. We remember that many who entered our home stood with breathless amazement. Wow, this opens up a new world. It really did. It was awesome to behold the lovely valley below, to look down on the grassy meadow, to observe the variety of trees, and sometimes watch deer and other wild animals as they would frolic in their natural freedom. Can you imagine this time of year in the fall, how pretty that would be? The elderly couple who sowed this place, who had lived there for over 50 years, for them to leave this house they had built with their own hands was heart-wrenching, and together we wept many tears as they moved from this awesome valley, setting they had, a setting that they had enjoyed so much for their lifetime. What still baffles me, however, is that someone could live so long with such a limited outlook upon the beauty around them. They had one small window over the kitchen sink. Of course, there were other small windows on other sides, but only one small window to the west looking out over the beautiful valley. Can you imagine spending a lifetime with one small window when all of God's glorious creation was available to enjoy? When I reflect on them, I realize there are countless millions of God's children whose viewpoint is also confined to their small window. I am not speaking now of a physical window, but of their contentedness with a small spiritual vision. What vision do we desire? What are we willing to improve? What are we willing to do to improve our vision? If you've noticed, my wife and I, or my wife, our eight children, six of my eight children, including my wife, wear glasses. It seems like we're always scheduling a picture, uh, an appointment to the eye doctor, and I confess there are times I start to grumble a little bit. I'm sure it's inflation, but it gets expensive going to the eye doctor, and my wife so gently reminds me, honey, it's their eyes. You want them to see, don't you? Well, I'm a good dad. Yeah, I want my kids to, to be able to see, so I write the checks, pay the bills, we make the appointments, and so forth. But spiritually speaking, as Christians, we also need to be involved in regular activities that help us to see Christ better. I want to share some good news with you this morning. Your pastor, Theo, is committed to your spiritual growth. Amen? I've listened at board meetings on Sunday mornings and other nights, and over and over and over again, I hear the words discipleship and prayer and relationships and things like that come out of our pastor's mouth. He is committed to your spiritual growth. But it gets better than that. Your board at Brown's Chapel is committed to your spiritual growth. Now, hopefully I'm not sharing anything out of context here. I might get kicked off the board because I was sharing. But, but I said and I listened at a board meeting the other night and as they went around the room, I left there encouraged because I walked away that your board is committed to your spiritual growth. They want to see and they want to do things that will lead to and attribute to your spiritual growth. The Wesleyan Church believes in entire sanctification. Other words that talk about that are, and we don't hear a lot of these nowadays, but Christian perfectionism the second work of grace in our lives, 
This comes about by faith. Just as your salvation was by faith, so is our sanctification. I want to share with you real quick as I wrap up this morning four things that I feel like can contribute and help us to see Christ better. I I should have connected with Cindy earlier because she shared a wonderful quote in our Sunday school class at the point. I wrote it down. I thought, that's got to go in, in my sermon. But a, a gentleman by, with the last name of Malik wrote that knowing God, the way to know God is to be, and I won't do it justice, uh, but it says to be in an environment that is conducive to knowing God. So what does that environment look like? Well, first of all, number one here is that environment of worship. Being in an environment, being in, in, with a local body that believes in worshiping God. The idea of meeting together regularly for the purpose of exalting Christ corporately. Now, you could preach a whole sermon on worship by itself, and, and I'm not going to do that to you this morning, and nor would I be able to do it justice. But worship is more than just us coming here on Sunday morning together and singing. But even though it's more than that, it is that as well. And that is important. In Hebrews chapter 10, verse 25, we read, Not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another, and so much the more as ye see the day approaching. The Bible admonishes us, exhorts us to come together regularly for the purpose of worshiping God. It's been a rough last two years. COVID has done a number on a lot of churches. And there are still some people who have not come back yet to church. Let me say this morning with much love and much compassion that if you're joining us online and you're able to come back, would you please? We miss you. We miss you. We love you and we desire to worship with you in person. We understand there are some who can't because of health, physical reasons, and so forth. But if you can, and if you're able, please come back. It's not just for your benefit, but it's for my benefit as well. For, for my benefit as well. I will grow more being with you together, worshiping together, singing together, praying together, being instructed from the Word of God together. All those elements of worship. Life is better in, in community together. Secondly, not just worship, but the second component of helping to see Christ better is that of relationships. It's that parakaleo, that word I talked about earlier a lot, that idea of walking alongside one another together. Jesus gave us the model for living the Christian life, and a part of that model was other people. Jesus chose his disciples, 12 men. Now, if Jesus needed 12 men to come alongside him, to be with him, I probably need way more than that. <laughs> I, I need other, other people as well. Relationships are so important, and so many times as men... We don't think we need anybody. And yet Jesus, as I said, had 12 men. In Ecclesiastes chapter 4, verse 12, we read, 
Though one may be overpowered, two can defend themselves. A cord of three strands is not easily broken. Relationships are important. The men of our church, we meet on Tuesday nights for Bible study. Now, many of you know Joe back there. He's not necessarily shy or quiet, is he? Uh, well, just imagine for a moment, as we think about community, that if Joe saw me doing something that was outside of Scripture, it wasn't lining up with Scripture, do you think Joe would have a problem pulling me aside and saying, Brother, that don't line up with God's Word. You need to, uh, need to probably say something like my mom would say, straighten up, fly right, you know? That's what relationships do. Joe, I don't believe Joe would have any problem holding me accountable, telling me that I need to see God more clearly. But relationships are, is not just about telling somebody what they're doing wrong. Amen? Relationships are designed so that we can fulfill the one another passages in Scripture. Stan Dernell brought a printout the other night to our Thursday night prayer meeting a few weeks back, and he had a whole, it was like three or four pages long, and it was, I don't know if it was all of them, I don't know if it was an inclusive or, ex, or exhaustive list, but there were a lot of them, of all the one another passages. And you know them, things like love one another, pray for one another, live in harmony with one another, welcome one another, greet one another, be servants to one another, submit to one another, bear one another up, exhort one another, and the list goes on and on. Do you believe the Bible would have so many one another passages in them if it wasn't important? Relationships is a part of us growing in Christ. And who do we have in our life to bear us up, to come alongside us? And who are we ourselves bearing up? Who are we coming alongside of? These are important questions and they help us to see Christ better. The third thing is that of discipleships. Being in the Word individually and in small groups on Sunday mornings is another way to begin to see as Christ desires us to see. Remember that Jesus said to Peter, Flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but God did. As I said earlier, this is our pastor's heart. Pastor Theo's heart, as well as Sister Randy's, beats that, that with the desire to see you grow and mature in Christ. Now, he's not paying me to say this, but I've, heard, I've had the privilege to learn from some great Bible teachers down through the years and sit under some great men and women at Indiana Wesleyan University. And we've got a great... Uh, we here at, as I said earlier, we here at Browns Chapel are blessed. We have a great worship team. We have a, a great tech team. And especially from our pastors, we get the opportunity to be fed the word of God. We have some great messages here at Browns Chapel. However, none of this, the worship, the tech, the preaching of the word, none of this can take the place of us feeding upon Christ daily ourselves how healthy physically would you be if you ate one meal a week now you wouldn't die you'd probably survive you you could get by just eating one one meal a week but you wouldn't be very healthy either would you 
your complexion would be bad, you'd have low energy, you wouldn't be all that strong. And the same is true spiritually speaking. How can we begin to withstand the onslaught of the evil one if we are anemic? Because we're not getting healthy daily feedings from the word of God. If you read in the book of Corinthians, you get a picture of a church that is not that healthy. The people are not where Paul believes that they should be speaking, should be spiritually speaking. 1 Corinthians 3, we read, Brothers and sisters, I do not address you as people who live by the Spirit, but as people who are still worldly, mere infants in Christ. I gave you milk, not solid food, for you were not yet ready for it. Indeed, you are still not ready. Those are some stinging words from the Apostle Paul as he writes to the church at Corinthians. They're not where they should be. Discipleship strengthens us that we might be able to enjoy the meat of God's word. I heard a sermon this week on the Moody Station. I mentioned earlier being able to go there. and It was kind of a uh, it was a great sermon, but a kind of a funny story in there. It says where a pastor went to a revival meeting, and he didn't, I, he probably said, but I just didn't catch where, where he had went to. But he said he went to this revival meeting, and he was scheduled to speak three times that weekend. But after he preached the first time, and they got ready to go to the break, some people in the congregation came up to him and asked him if he would uh, forget about the break, if he would teach some more. And he's like, well, okay, this sermon I just preached has, is a two-part. I'll go ahead and I can preach the second part or whatever. And so he preached that. And then a little bit later, they asked if he could go ahead and preach another message. He said, I ended up preaching seven times that day, and I was only supposed to speak three times the entire weekend. And so uh, during one of their actual breaks where they were eating, he said to the guy, he says, Man, what's going on? Why do you guys keep asking me to preach? And one of the men who sat in there, and he actually said he was sitting right there with his pastor. But he says to him, sir, when you get hot dogs week after week after week, and you, somebody lays a steak before you, you want to devour all that you can devour. <laughs> so I share that to say next week, when Pastor Theo comes, you guys come hungry. Because he's going he's gonna to give you the steak, he's going to give you the, the meat. Hopefully you're getting better than hot dogs this morning but uh, but nonetheless feed upon the word of God be in discipleship learning and growing in the grace and the knowledge of the Lord and last but not least prayer so we had I forgot my three before that worship thank you thank you Greg Worship and relationship and discipleship and last but not least, prayer. It is prayer that will help us to see God more clearly. Loved ones, as important as the previous three are, I believe prayer is the most important. Paul wrote to the Ephesians when he, in his prayer in that book. He says, I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, will give you the spirit of wisdom in Revelation, so that you may know him better. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people, and his incomparably great power for us who believe. In the book of Matthew, Jesus says in chapter 21, verse 13, my house will be called a house of what? Worship? 
Mm. Prayer. Prayer. Discipleship, yeah, but relationships, yeah, but a house of prayer. Prayer is what opens the eyes of our heart. It is through prayer that we receive all that God has for us, his spirit of wisdom and revelations. Loved ones, there are simply things... There are simply things in this world that we cannot accomplish or begin to see if not except by prayer. Not by grit, not by strength, not by will, but by prayer. In Zechariah 4, 6, the Lord says, This is what the word of the Lord to Zerubbabel, not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord Almighty. We are called to be a body who prays for one another. We are like the blind man going, going to see things clearly. It is going to, if we're going to see things clearly, it's going to be because of prayer. The other three important, are important too, but it is prayer that is the most important. We are to labor together in prayer. And I will confess, like Pastor did a few weeks ago, I could give more time to prayer. I want to see clearly. I know this side of heaven I will never see perfectly. There's no way I will ever fully understand God. But I want to see him as clear as I can. As clear as is possible this side of heaven. David Smith, a professor at Indiana Wesleyan, in his commentary on the book of Matthew Uh, writes, and I quote, it is quite possible to walk through life even side by side with Jesus, having our eyes only half open. Discipleship inside the church and formal education outside the church, though essential, are no substitute for the transforming power of the cross. Spiritual blindness must be dealt with by Christ before we can stop thinking like humans and begin to think like God. This transforming power comes to us by way of prayer. Private prayer, corporate prayer. Dr. A.T. Pearson once said, There has never been a spiritual awakening in any country or locality that did not begin in united prayer. He said that in an article where they were talking about the Welsh revival. Revivals, Wilbur Chamberlain reminds us, are born in prayer. When Wesley prayed, England was revived. When, when Knox prayed, Scotland was refreshed. When the Sunday school teachers in Tannybrook prayed, 11,000 young people were added to the church in a single year. Whole nights of prayer have always been succeeded by whole days of soul winning. I love that. When Paul wrote to Timothy in this letter, 1 Timothy chapter 2, Paul says, I urge then, first of all, that petitions, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgiving be made for all people. And again, later in verse 8 of that same second chapter, Paul writes, Therefore, I want men everywhere to pray. Now, that doesn't, that's men in the plural sense, at meaning all people. So women, too. It's important for the ladies to pray. It's important for the, the men replay, uh, to pray. When it comes to pray, we are, prayer, we are an equal opportunity uh, person. We want all people to pray. Pray everywhere. Lifting up holy hands without anger and without disputing. I pray that here at Brown's Chapel we will be known as a house in prayer. Wouldn't it be awesome a hundred years from now 
somebody writes an article in, in some Christian magazine talking about the revival that took place in Hancock County, Indiana. And in that article, they said it started with a prayer meeting at Brown's Chapel. That would be awesome. This happened in Asbury a few years, years ago. It's happened in other places. It can happen here, too. But it only happened through prayer. In Luke chapter 10, verse 2, we're told, The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send workers into the harvest. Let me close out and leave you with this point this morning. And this is not to discourage, but really being shared to exhort. But notice Jesus said the workers are few when it comes to the harvest. What I hear Jesus saying is that this idea of soul winning is hard work. And there are few people willing to endure the hardship. Prayer is hard work. Are you willing to pay the price? Are we willing to rise early to spend time in prayer? Are we willing to stay up late simply for the purpose of praying? Are we willing to rise in the middle of the night when God awakens us with someone or something on our mind? Now, I don't say this to idolize the man, although I do think really, really highly of him. But Kathy and I have, and Kathy and I have a great deal of love and respect for Professor Jim Lowe. We had him participate in our wedding uh, this May, 25 years ago, on this very platform. Kathy and I stood and uh, were married by Jim Dunn. And we had Professor Lowe come. And as we had him come, we, what we did was, you know, weddings are a lot of symbolism, aren't there? So what I, and, and I, I tell you what, as a pastor and learned, I had our poor Kathy. You know, usually it's the bride that has all the wedding plans. Not, not at our wedding, man. I had ever, I had that whole ceremony planned out. I knew exactly what I wanted to have done and why I wanted to have it done, and it was important. And during the part of the ceremony, when Jim, we were up here with Jim Dunn, and so we had a time where we came and we lit the unity candles. But when Kathy and I kneeled to pray, we had Kathy's parents come up, and I had them come up and stand behind me, and I had my mom and dad come up, and stand behind Kathy to symbolize this idea of we are uniting our families. We're two families that have come together with me and Kathy into one family. And then we had Jim Lowe come up and pray over all of us. So we have a lot of, a lot of love and a lot of respect for this for this man. We've known him for a long time and sat under his teaching at Indiana Wesley. But I also follow Jim on Facebook. And what I've noticed a lot of times is Jim will make a post at 1 a.m. or 3 a.m. And it'll say something along the lines, I, was, I woke up this morning thinking about this person or that person, praying about this or praying about that. Or I came to the office early this morning because I wanted to spend time in prayer. And it's like 4 a.m. I'm sorry, 4 a.m., I'm sleeping. <laughs> but maybe I shouldn't be. Maybe I shouldn't be. Well, a couple years ago, and I never shared this with anybody, just Kathy knows. But a couple years ago, I was going through a really, really difficult time.
And I didn't tell anybody. However, out of the blue, that morning I got up and on this thing called Facebook Messenger, you probably never heard of it or anything, but there was this message on there from Jim Lowe. And he said, Gary, the Lord woke me up this morning. And I was praying for you. I don't know what's going on, but God loves you. It takes work to pray. It takes work and dedication and commitment to the body of Christ to get up at three in the morning and to labor in prayer, to intercede on behalf of someone. Prayer will cost us. But the reward will far outweigh the cost. So the question is, am I willing to pay the price? Are we at Brown's Chapel willing to pay the price to build this community for Christ? Let us pray. Father, we thank you for your word. Father, we thank you that because of the power of Christ, the transforming power of the cross, we can begin to see more clearly the deeper things of God. Father, if there are any here this morning who have not ever put their faith or their trust in you, who have not begun to see but are still walking blind, Father, we pray that you would help them this morning to reach out to you in faith, and be touched by the master's hand. And Father, for the rest of us, Lord, it's our desire to see you more clearly. Lord, though we, as Paul said, look through this glass darkly, God, we pray that as we fellowship with one another, as we are in your word, as we pray together, as we worship together, as we grow together, Father, we will begin to see more clearly the deeper things, the mysteries, as Paul says, that you have for us. Father, bless this congregation. Strengthen them, encourage them, exhort them up. And Father, teach us how to interact with one another and to fulfill the body of Christ. And we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.